Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Just go ahead and have you turn to Romans, Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at two verses today as we start off our whole missions month. And I really like the theme, the theme of just one. Because as we think about our lives, as we think about everything that's going on in this world, uh, we sometimes forget we just have this one life. And what kind of life do we want to live? What kind of people do we want to become? And I pray that we will be about the kingdom culture. We'll be about the kingdom uh, advancement and glorifying God in all that we do. So hopefully you've turned to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. Uh, Once again, you could... Open up our church app and all the notes and everything. You could just follow along as you fill in the blanks. We want you to be able to use all your senses so that you will remember some of these important points that I'm going to be highlighting for us. Uh, we, we are, as you can tell, <coughs> excuse me, as you can tell, we are looking forward to this month of November. In fact, this is one of my favorite months as I think about all that God is calling us to do as a church And those of you who don't know a little bit about our history is that this church uh, first got started back in 1996 in Michigan at the University of Michigan. And ever since we started the church back then, our heart and our, our passion has always been about God's mission, about God's kingdom, rather than what we want to do. God, what is it that you want us to do? And that's how our church got started almost 20 some years ago. And it was our dream that every single person in our church will experience this transformative process or this transformative work of God through the gospel message. So when our lives are being transformed, as we understand who God is, understand who we are in light of who God is, and then in repentance and turning away from the things of this world and turning to Christ as our only means of salvation, we believe that lives will be completely turned upside down. And it was from that moment we said, well, if your life begins to experience this change, then one of the things you will want to do, it's a natural process, is that you want to go around and share this good news to other people. That we want to encourage people in our church to be able to go into their different spheres of society, whether it's at home, whether it's in your business, or whether it's in your schools, wherever it is, to go into those places and bring this transformative message of the gospel. And that's why succinctly, we have talked about how our mission is to transform. We're transforming lives and transforming the world. And we want to keep on doing this until the day we die. This is our commitment. This is God's heart for us. And I think this is the reason why we're dedicating a whole month. Rarely will you see a church dedicating a whole month just on this topic of missions. But we do that because we want to fulfill his mission for his glory in our church, this local church. And as I think about this more and more, I realize like for a lot of us, when you think about this transforming lives, transforming the world, it could almost seem just impossible because it's just too big for us. And for some of us, what we do is we relegate it to this idea, well, I can't do much, so I'm not going to do anything. Or this idea of transforming the world is so big that, Lord, what can, what can, what can I do? What can I offer to your mission. And this is the reason why one of the favorite things or parts of being a pastor, at least for me, 
is to have the privilege of baptizing people every single year. And so far, we've been having two baptism uh, services, one in December and one in March or April on that time when we have Easter. And the reason why is one of the greatest parts for me is just to see the joy on the faces of these people who've actually trusted in Jesus Christ. They understand now. that Some of them have gone to church their whole lives but never understood the gospel. They understood that Jesus Christ died for them and you need to believe in him so you won't go to hell, you go to heaven. But they haven't appropriated that gospel message, that life-giving message into their lives until they came to university or to our church here in this city. And so from there, you could just see on their face as they're sharing their testimonies and as they're getting baptized, lives are being completely turned around. And as I was thinking about baptism today, I was like thinking, it's not just for that person, and it's just not for me where I get the privilege of actually baptizing them, dunking them in water. And you guys know, if I listen to the testimony, if it's really simple, I hold them a little bit longer, you know, let the, the, the water cleanse them, you know. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I also enjoy seeing in this whole baptism process is the people who actually walk into the water. Sometimes we do it out in the ocean there, or we just do it in one of the baptistry in one of the churches. To see those people who actually walk in that baptist uh, in the water with that person who's getting baptized. Because those of you who have never witnessed our baptism, we invite people to, the people who are going to get baptized, we invite them to bring somebody or people along that has helped them in their spiritual journey to help them to understand this gospel message. So when they come in, I look at them and I realize, wow, these brothers and sisters actually had a part in this person's life in crossing that line to say, I am going to now get baptized and declare my faith, my inward faith in a public way. It's very powerful just being able to witness that and to see that. Not only that, you could tell I was thinking about baptism a lot because I'm going to be leading the class today. But anyway, as I was thinking about this, I said, not only just seeing the people coming to water, you know what I also love? I love it when the whole life group comes together to celebrate. It's the best. Like after the baptism, I like to kind of pull back a little bit, and I see all these life groups coming up, and they're actually celebrating together, bringing flowers. It feels like graduation, but they're just wet. And uh, they come in, and you know, they're just like, oh, and they're lavishing on that person, just say, we're so glad you're part of our spiritual family. And as I witness this, as I see this, I realize that baptism is not just an individual one-person event, but it's a celebration for that life group and for our whole church. That's what we're about. That's God's mission. That even though we want to transform the world, you can't transform the world until you first transform one life through the gospel message. I want to show you some pictures over the years that we've seen. I don't know if you could see some pictures here. Uh, some of these were our first baptisms. These were our first baptism candidates, and we baptized them over the years. Oh, we have another one uh, this past, uh, it's a couple years back. Let's and then in 2019, the most recent one. Do we have another one? Is that it? Right? Amen. So I pray that some of us this coming year, we can have our faces up there and also to invite some people to come along. So what would it be like if every single one of us, we were available to God 
And we were in this process of seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ. Man, I, I'm praying that this will be a part of our lifestyle, that every single day we'll have an opportunity. And you know what? I want to share with you today that we do every single day. And with this one life and this one mission that God has given us, I pray that we will be able to share this one faith that can change a person's life. So this month, I'm praying that we will be so enamored with Christ, with his mission, that we'll simply ask the question, God, here I am. What is it that you want me to do? How can I partake in your mission? That's why the theme, as we mentioned already, the theme for Missions Month is just one. And as we talked about each of the parts, we're going to talk about in week one, just one faith, about sharing our faith with others and why that's important for us uh, to proclaim this gospel message. Week two, we're going to talk about just one moment and how we're able to, if we respond to God-given moments in our lives, we will see some incredible things happen. And God gives us those moments. It's just that we don't catch it. We don't see it. And we're hoping that we will learn through this process. The third week, we're going to talk about just one mission. I'm really excited for David Rowe to come. Uh, he, this man, he is just traveled around the world, and he knows so much of what's going on in China and around the world, and he's going to be able to share it with us. Uh, we have a whole weekend packed with things to train you, to help you. I pray that it will be a blessing, especially on the Friday encounter that we have. So we want to talk about God's mission. How can we be a part of what God is doing and then the last week, we're going to be sharing about just one life. Now, in light of all this, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond with the life that God has given us? And I'm excited, as we already heard, to have the founders of Christian Action. And you mentioned any kind of work of missions or reaching out to the disenfranchised, the underprivileged, or anyone— they will always come up because they've always been on the front lines for the past 20-some years. And not only here in Hong Kong, but they're actually in China with orphanages. And I can't wait for them to share the stories with you, these incredible God moments in their lives, that they are the only NGO, the nonprofit organizations, they're the only one that actually has a name that's the Christian Action. That is their name and, and they are the, one of the few that are allowed to actually, because now China is kicking out all the NGOs and all the uh, outside of China, uh, Chinese uh, programs, they're kicking them all out. But they were the ones who are still there. So some incredible stories. And the part after I talked with them, one of the things that I said, well, you need to come and share, was because this whole idea of just one life was the very thing that God used to speak to Sumei to say, you only have one life, and what are you going to do about it? And so I just felt it fit perfectly, and so we're excited about all that God's going to do. So today we're going to talk about just one faith. So let me give us the one thing. Everyone say one thing. One thing. The one thing is simply this. As Christ's greatness is acclaimed, the gospel must be proclaimed. As Christ's greatness is acclaimed, the gospel must be proclaimed. I'm going to specifically highlight two things in verse 16 and also in verse 17 about how God's greatness is acclaimed or made famous and as you cherish it and treasure the greatness of God, of who Jesus is, that the gospel will be proclaimed. The first thing is this, that we must trust in the gospel. In order for us to really proclaim this gospel message, 
we have to trust in the gospel message and why it's so important for us. Let me kind of give us a little of a context. Uh, as some of you know, whenever I pick like a verse or a couple verses, it, it's, it's important that you understand the context. Because if you don't put that context, it could be taken out of context and you could have the wrong meaning or understanding of that verse. So let me just first give you a context and then we'll read verse 16. It says this, when, when you think about this trusting in the gospel, here's Paul starting off a letter to the people of Rome. And so he writes from chapter 1, and if you look quickly in the beginning, the first seven some verses, he's talking about who's writing this letter and introducing himself. But you will notice quickly as you go to verse 8 through 15, you see that Paul wanted to visit the believers in Rome, but things prevented him from going. So he hasn't really visited Rome. He just heard about everything that God was doing. So he's writing this letter to let them know that I wanted to visit you, but I was prevented from going. And the reason why he wanted to go was because he wanted to establish their faith. He heard so much about what God was doing. He wanted to strengthen them, establish their faith. But most importantly, listen to me carefully, he wanted to preach the gospel. Those of you who don't know, Rome back in those days were like, it was like New York City. It was like Seoul, L.A., Hong, well, a little bit of Hong Kong prior. But anyway, it, it was a city where everyone wanted to go into. And so as you think about this great city of Rome, Paul's like, I want to go visit you because I want to I share this gospel with so many people who have yet to hear And that is the reason why in Romans chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. It says this, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and to the uneducated alike. Verse 15, So I am eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. So he felt this tremendous call to preach the gospel to whomever that God is calling him to preach to, these different opportunities. But he says very clearly, my main objective, my main goal is that I will be able to preach the good news, the gospel, to those who have yet to hear. This is when we come to verse 16, and I'm going to go ahead and read verse 16 for us. And it says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, or to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We start off verse 16 and we see the word for. Everyone say for. for. And the reason why this is important, because what Paul is doing, he is connecting verse 8 through 15, just what we just talked about, and now he's connecting it with verse 16. So after Paul makes this declaration in verse 15 that I'm eager to preach the gospel at Rome, even though there will be opposition because you know that there were many people who were being killed and persecuted for their faith, he says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And the reason why he's not ashamed is because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I want you to notice the word power. Everyone say power. The word power comes from the word dudamis. We've studied this many times before. It has this reference to this inherent power residing in a thing or a person by virtue of its nature. 
So this power, so if you think about this, it's saying that it is this thing that comes forth, this inherent power that comes because of who that person is to exert this force or put it forth. And so what Paul is saying is that this gospel is the inherent power of God. And it's the thing that works in us to bring salvation to those who will trust and to those who will believe. So listen to me carefully. This gospel that some of you grew up in Sunday school, this gospel that you hear, this gospel that you study every single week in life group, the gospel itself, when you understand the message, there is inherent power to thrust and to move things forward, which in our context, it has the power to change us, to transform us deeply. This is the reason why we can be bold in proclaiming the gospel message to this world. People in this world who are so against God. The idea that a person is saved through the gospel message, which entails the cross and how we need to repent, turn away from our life of self-centeredness and then turn to God. And through that, as you turn to him, You surrender everything you have and say, God, I'm fully yours. Like this did not make sense to the people in Rome during Paul's time. And I'm telling you right now, this does not make sense to people in this world. Like if if you ever try to share the gospel, you could just look at the person who's listening and they'll be like, or they'll come up with things like, well, that's your God. Why can't we worship all these other gods? Why do I need Christianity? When I look at all these Christians, they look like they're using a crutch. There's so many things as they look at the society, they go, why do we need this? It doesn't make sense. The thing that you have to understand and the reason why this is powerful is that during this time, many of those who call themselves Christ followers They were not the elite of society, fishermen, um, tax collectors. There were people that were kind of frowned upon. Some of them were former slaves, servants. And so pretty much this faith became known to just, it's more for the commoners. And another thing you have to keep in mind is that Rome was such, they were so known for their military power. And that's why they focused a lot on strength and power. They also, Rome also had some great philosophers. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge were highly valued by the Romans. This is the reason why a message based on the crucifixion, which was a punishment for criminals, really made it very difficult for them to believe and to receive this gospel message. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Because it's the dunamis power of God or the dynamite power, it's explosive. I think this is why Paul even had to remind the people of Corinth that it's not your power, it's not your wisdom, but it's the wisdom and the power of God. In the yellow, will you read along with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 25? I'm gonna read it from the ESV. Listen to what it says. 
For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, come on now, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What a great reminder. In this world, as we think that it's all about my power, my wisdom, what I can do, how to earn something, what, what Paul is saying and what the Word of God says, it's the wisdom of God, the power of God. I think this is the reason why the, the wisdom and power of God has so much the, the ability to transform a life when you really understand the gospel message. If you really believe it's not your power, not your wisdom, not eloquency, how eloquent you are, how well you know the arguments and apologetics to convince somebody to receive Jesus Christ. If you really believe that, then we should pray for people more than anything else. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't study. You shouldn't be able to respond and to argue or defend your faith. But when was the last time, this is my challenge to us, when was the last time you cared about somebody so much, the thought of them spending a Christless eternity in hell, it moved you so much, and you came to the realization, I have tried everything, God. There is nothing I can do. I've tried to show them all the different articles, read all these books, but they just seem to just be stuck in their ways. There is nothing more I can do, and God, I'm going to commit myself to prayer because it is the power of God. Don't raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you in this room have family members, parents who are not believers. Don't raise your hand. I want you to just think about this for a moment. The scary part for some of us is like, oh, if I just go home and try to live a good Christian life, that they're going to become a Christian. I'm going to tell you right now. They're going to think like, oh, we raised a good kid. It's not the power of God because they don't understand it. Some of you have gone home and tried to share, and you have gotten into fights. That church, that pastor, I saw a picture of him, that pastor, is he even a pastor? I mean, you get into fights, you're just like, no, I, I, I want to I go to life group, mom. I want to go to church, dad. They go, no, you can't. And you're like, what am I going to do? You have old friends back home or maybe here who's like, you know what, it's like, I don't think we're going to hang out with you anymore because you just make us uncomfortable. Like, I'm wondering if there are people in your life, even at the workplace, even in your neighborhoods, that don't know Jesus Christ and you've tried to use all your eloquence, you've tried to share God's love in a tangible way, which are all important, but you come to that realization, unless the power of God changes them, that there is nothing that could be done. That's why I think when we talk about trusting in this gospel message, I think we really have to be honest with ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to expose our hearts. I think too often we get focused on ourselves and we end up going to the extremes, don't we? That's why we get so scared to proclaim the gospel because we think that it's all dependent on us. And then it's not. He, God never says to convert that person. But he does say to proclaim, to declare, to share, 
So it's not your responsibility to change anybody. It is not your responsibility to bring them to Christ. You cannot do it. No one can but the power of God. So this is what I'm saying. Either we go to that one extreme, oh my goodness, because you're focused on yourself and you're dependent on yourself. Oh, I've tried everything and I'm just too scared and I don't want to do this anymore. But it's not about you. It's about the power of God. The other extreme that I've seen oftentimes is that some of you are very good. Some of you might even have the gift of evangelism. You're able to pick, you know, themes from this culture and bring it in. It's like, yeah, you think, uh, you know, <laughs> Kanye came out with Jesus as king? No, man. He's been king long time ago. You know what I'm saying? So you're, 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 you're really into that culture and you could talk to people. You're like, oh, wow. If you're sitting there like, what is he talking about? Just pray to Jesus right now for revelation. But anyway, you understand what I'm trying to say. Some of you are so good at dissecting culture, speaking that language. And so what you do is that you're very effective. And guess what happens when you see people come to Christ under your tutelage or under your influence? You get proud. Or... In this extreme, you have two choices. You either get proud because you think it's all about you and you're gifted, or you don't see results and you, what happens? You get discouraged because you're so driven by results. So I was giving some thought on this, and I said, okay, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. So I ask my question, when I look at my life, when were the times when I was a little bit ashamed of something that is very precious to me? And the first thing that came to my mind was my parents. I don't want to blame it on puberty or adolescence or peer pressure, but I would definitely say it had a part in it. My parents, uh, the Lord bless them. You know, they're still going strong. Some of you know my mom, even though she's 80 years old, she's teaching four line dance classes. She's, uh, she's very progressive. She's very hip, you know. My dad, after a while, he was just waiting for her. He goes, this is boring. So he, now he's a DJ. And so he plays the music for her as she teaches class. So it's, it's very cute. It's cute. Um, maybe I'll go to one of their classes when I get to visit the States, and then I'll take a picture for you guys and my dad and my mom dancing. And anyway, so uh, I love them to death. But during that stage of my life when I was insecure, I just kind of wanted to fit in and all that kind of stuff, the thought was, I did not want my parents to meet my friends because their English was so bad. And I was one of the few Asians in this neighborhood where they were like wealthy. We were talking about million-dollar homes. They were just driving. These are 16-year-olds driving Mercedes-Benz and Lexuses and all those cars, BMWs. And I just so badly wanted to fit in. And I knew that if they met my parents, it was going to be game over. They're like, ah, oh, you are Asian, ha, ha. You know, so I'm like, no, I, I, I'm an American. I want to fit in. And so I was just thinking about this, and I, there were so many times when I felt so ashamed that I didn't want my parents to come to some of the things or even interact with people that 
I didn't want them to interact with because I was trying to fit into this group of people. Now, in retrospect, that was the dumbest thing in the whole wide world, right? Isn't it always like that? And then you become a parent, and then your kid's are like, we don't want you to come, Dad, because you're that dad. He's like, come on, ref. You know, so like, uh, can, can, you, can you just like, don't go to the game, Dad? And then I, I get hurt, so I'm like, oh, this is what mom and dad, you know, my mom and my dad felt. And so I was thinking about that, and now in retrospect, I'm like, that was so bad. But th- their English, it wasn't that bad, but the only problem was they spoke it like from the south side, but with a Korean accent. So try to imagine like, you know, kind of like the hip-hop like language, but then you add in a thick Korean accent, it's really bad. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, so embarrassing. But I love my parents. They're precious. They are people that I value. And as I was thinking about this, I realized for many of us, we can say we value the gospel, but we are ashamed. And a lot of it is because it is centered around us rather than in God and his power. Paul was not ashamed because he was powerfully experiencing this gospel message. No matter how much he would face persecution and humiliation for preaching it, Paul knew that it's God's power that will do the work of bringing salvation to those who believe. I'm wondering what would happen if every single one of us in our church believed in this power of God. But I think too often we settle for the status quo and live like the world. Listen to what John R. John R. W. Stott said in his book, Obeying Christ in a Changing World. He says this, Instead of always being one of the chief bastions of the social status or a social status quo, the church is to develop a Christian counterculture with its own distinctive goals, values, standards, and lifestyle, a realistic alternative to the contemporary technocratic, which is marked by bondage, materialism, self-centeredness, and greed. Christ's call to obedience is a call to be different, not conformist. Such a church, joyful, obedient, loving, and free, will do more than please God. It will attract the world. It is when the church evidently is the church and is living a supernatural life of love by the power of the Holy Spirit that the world will believe. And where can we experience this? In life group. Where can we experience this? Lunchtime in our church. Something like, (laughs) but can you imagine that we're eating, fellowshipping together to open up your life to show something that's so countercultural? Just quickly, as I move to the second point, I want to just help you to notice. I I don't know if you noticed, but he mentions how it's first for the Jews and then for the Greeks or the Gentiles and other translations. We have to remember that this is not about preference but rather it's talking more about how the Jews were the first in the point of time. And so Paul, he was called to preach the gospel even to the Greeks or Gentiles. He understood that even Jesus first came to preach to the Jews. And that's why afterwards, when the Jewish people rejected the gospel message, when Paul would travel around, he'll preach to 
many of the Gentiles, but he still knew the mission of God. So what did he do? Whenever he would go on these missionary journeys, he would first go into these cities and look for the Jews and preach the gospel there. But Jesus, Paul, and the early church, they had this vision that it's not just sticking with the Jews, but it's for the nations. That's why Luke chapter 24, verse 47, it says this, and read it in the yellow, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Start here and then to the ends of this earth. How about us this morning? Have we placed our trust in the gospel? Do we really believe in the power of God to bring the salvation with the people that you love that are surrounding you in your life. I'm wondering when was the last time you seriously took time to pray for the lost? I pray that this missions month, that'll be one of our highest commitments to pray for those people who don't know Jesus Christ. We must trust in the gospel. I wanna finish off and talk about not only how we must trust in the gospel, but we must thrive with the gospel. That the gospel actually allows you to live life and thrive in life. You don't just survive, you're thriving in life. You know, in our church, some of you who have been with us for some time now, we talk a lot about this human paradigm versus the gospel paradigm. And you have to know the difference between the two because it makes all the difference. We, every single one of us in this world, as we're living and breathing right now, every single one of us, we have been brought up with this human paradigm which simply says, if you do this, you will get this. If you don't do this, then you're not gonna get this. So we are trained that what you do defines and makes who you are. That's why I see this more so in Asia in the last four years than ever before, because so many of us, we define who we are by what we do, our grades. And that's why so often when you don't do well, you're devastated. Or some of you, this is your God. You cannot let go of it because you feel like you're going to lose your sense of identity, who you are. These awards, the, the talent, whether it's music or whatever it is, you, you, instead of seeing that as just gifts that God gives, this is where you base your whole identity. This is a human paradigm. And somehow you try to earn your way and favor with God. The gospel paradigm says it's completely different. There is nothing that you deserve. The only thing that you deserve is death because you have sinned against the holy God. And so in that understanding, there is nothing I can do. I am completely depraved. There is no good in me. That's what the Bible says. No matter how good you think you are, even your good are like filthy rags before God because he is pure. He is holy. And so when you come to that point when you realize there's an end to yourself, there is nothing I can do, that's when you will turn to Christ and God, I need you. And this is where the gospel message comes into play. That he forgives you. That he loves you in spite of what you have done or what you haven't done that you should have done. And this gospel paradigm can radically change the way you live your life. And I don't think there's any difference from what we experience today and it's Paul's time. Read verse 17. I'll just follow along. It says this, For it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, and is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let me just declare right, right now, if you live by your own righteousness and your good works, 
you're not gonna thrive in life. You're gonna get depressed. You're gonna get feel hopeless. You're gonna get jaded. You're gonna get disillusioned. And you're gonna say to yourself, does this Christianity really work? But if you live according to the righteousness of God, that there's nothing you can do, and you trust in him, I'm telling you right now, your life, you will thrive. Paul mentions that this righteousness of God has been revealed from faith for faith. What is he trying to say? Let me dissect this quickly. The word righteousness has this root word meaning what is right or conformable to right or pertaining to right. So this idea of being right is hitting the mark. So therefore, righteousness in the biblical sense is not determined by what we do or any other external circumstances, but it's only by God. Because God is the only one who is right. He's the only one who is perfect. He's hitting the mark every time. So righteousness is a condition of rightness by the standard of God. That's why some of you right now, you have always trusted in your righteousness, your good works. I'm a good kid. I do the right thing. I listen to my parents, and I'm telling you right now, that standard falls short. But so many of us, we have tried to live that way. I'm a good citizen. Look what I do. I give to the poor. I do all. This is what the Pharisees did in the Bible. The religious leaders and Jesus had some harsh words for them because you are judging your righteousness by human standard, the human paradigm, rather than the gospel paradigm. That's why I love some of these other passages throughout the book of Romans. And if you ever want to read the whole book, it's going to encourage you as you think about it. It's not what I do, but what Christ has done. Read it in the yellow with me in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And the ESV says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Come on now. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift though through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This righteousness can only come through faith in Christ. If you try to find this righteousness in the things that you do, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to want to give up. You don't want to try anymore. Why, why is it worth living this Christian life? Listen to what it says in the Message Bible of chapter 3. I'm going to just read two verses in 23 to 24. Listen to what it says. And you can follow along with me and read it out loud in the yellow. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. I, I just want you to just pause it right there. You are incapable. I know that goes against everything of the human paradigm. I am capable if I just try hard enough. But the Bible says you are incapable. Will you turn to somebody next to you and say, sorry, you are incapable. Go ahead. Or say like the Hong Kong style, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, sorry, sorry. You are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. You're not going to be able to thrive on your own. 
God did it for us. Can I get a good amen to that? You couldn't do it. You were incapable, but God did it for us. Read this uh, in the yellow. Out of sheer generosity. Man, that's powerful. He was so generous to you. He could have punished you. He could have made you pay up because you've sinned against God, but out of his sheer generosity, he put us in the right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is to cut off all these pretentious, self-righteous, works-oriented, human paradigm mindset that so much deserves or wants the credit, and God is simply saying you are utterly incapable. All your righteousness, it falls short. And it was something that was revealed. You have to understand, well, when you are utterly incapable, then you feel helpless. What can I do? But then God revealed himself through Jesus Christ. That's why the word revealed means to uncover what has been hidden. So what has not been completely understood now through Jesus Christ. Oh, when I look at the cross, when I think about the gruesome, just the brutality of the cross, when I think about the blood that was shed, when I think about the the nails in his hands, the crown of thorns on his head, when I think about the nail on his feet, when I think about that sacrifice, the crucifixion that's for a criminal, when Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, that he was crucified on the cross, when I look at that, it moves me because that should have been me. I'm the one who sinned against God, not Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He is the Son of God. That was me. And you gaze upon that cross, and you fix your eyes on him. You're mesmerized, even though at the same time you want to turn away. Because this tremendous love is displayed on the cross, and every drop of blood reminds you of how sinful and utterly incapable you are of being righteous on your own. This has been revealed through the person of Jesus because we were incapable. And that's why the phrase from faith for faith reminds us of the source. The source of righteousness not only is from God, but it is by what? Faith. Somebody like, oh, we use that word a lot. What does that mean? Well, faith simply allows you to trust, allows you to surrender yourself to him. This is why the only way we can thrive in our relationship with God is when we're able to live by faith. God, it's you. You got to get this. God, I can't change that person. God, I'm being persecuted at work. Or God, I'm facing some of these difficult things. You're the only one who could do it. I'm incapable. I cannot try to work it out on my own righteousness. You got to do it. That's why this idea of from faith for faith is this idea of things that are sourced from God, that he's the only one who can do it. But it's from the beginning to the end, the whole gamut, everything, it's all God. That's why the NIV translates it as by faith from first to last. 
this idea from the beginning when you first came to know Christ, that was all him. And then even to the end, when you go and die and see him face to face, that's all God. Everything in between is all God. No wonder so many of you are so frustrated in your walk with God because it's no longer all God. It's God and then you. But it's mostly you. And only when you need God, you will turn to God. What would happen if we completely flipped around and said, God, it's all you. And even me wanting to read the Bible, even me wanting to pray, even me wanting to proclaim the gospel, I cannot do it on my own. You have to put that love in my heart. You have to put that desire in my heart. Man, I remember there were so many times, even when I was younger in college and even when I was going through seminary and even after getting married and having kids, there were so many times when I would just be walking frustrated or different things on my mind, a lot of stress, different things going on, and there will be this incredible surge of just wanting to read the Bible or just to pray. And I'm telling you right now, it's not because I'm like, you know that one look when that little kid has to go to the bathroom? You know, it's not like, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm stressed, I'm not really walking with God, and I'm just, I'm just totally I'm just trying to do my own thing, and all of a sudden, there's this incredible surge. Because I'm utterly incapable. But it's God working in me, the power of God, and realize it's the source that comes from God. It's by faith and trusting in his righteousness. And that's when I'm able to get into the word, pray, and I realize, God, this is your heart. I love what J.B. Phillips said in his book, When God Was Man. He writes this, The good man, is in quotes, the man whose God is righteousness has as his life's ambition to, of the keeping of rules and commandments and of keeping of himself uncontaminated by the world. This sounds admirable, but as the truth of Christ showed, the whole of such living, the whole drive and ambition, the whole edifice of is self-centered. That entire process of effort must be abandoned if a God is to give himself in love to God and his fellows. He must lose his life if he is ever going to find it. Now, you could read this and say, oh, does that mean I don't even have to try? I don't have to read the Bible? Then you totally miss what he's trying to say. It is this thing inside of us that is so deep because it's the human paradigm that somehow we think that if we could just try to do this, then something's going to happen, and it doesn't. Can I also address those of you who grew up in the church again? Some of you, as you were young in your faith, and some of you went to high school, and you were a Christian, and you even served in, in the church, in your youth group, and all this stuff, but what happened was that you haven't really internalized your faith. It was all about doing things. So then you come to college, and all of a sudden, you realize, wow, life is different. Not only do you have all this freedom, but you realize what you believed when you were in high school. Maybe it doesn't make sense anymore. You have more doubts because your brain is developing. And it's in that moment where we should completely give up of ourselves and say, I'm incapable. God, I need you. But what do we do? We try to go to church and try to do all this stuff and do LCG and try to do life group. We do all this stuff to make ourselves feel better because we know that's the right thing to do. But guess what happens? You get frustrated because it's not working. You don't like it. Things are happening. So you decide, you know what? I'm going to go over here and just do whatever I want to do. But then you feel guilty because the Spirit of God is convicting you. 
And I've seen this. And, and if I've ever had a conversation about this, I'm not picking on you, but I'm just saying that this is the symptom that I see over and over again. And then you sit here and you're like, you're trying to party and do all this and forget about God, but you can't because you are now marked with the Holy Spirit. You are His. You are the child of God. And so then you go, okay, then I'm going to try to go back over here. And you try to do all this stuff. And you're like, God, I don't like this. Because why? You're trying to do it on your own strength and power. So where do you need to come? You need to come right in the middle. As you look at the cross. And say, God, I am utterly incapable. In my own righteousness, it falls short. I need you. I want you. I desire you, not from my own power and my own strength, but from you. And that's when, as soon as you abandon yourself and say, God, I'm yours. I'm tired of fighting with you. Tired of fighting with the world. And you just come to that point where, like, I need you. That's when the change will happen. That's why it's interesting, the latter portion of verse 17, Paul writes, and he quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. There's other passages in the New Testament and Old Testament that quotes that or quotes the Old Testament passage. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, he, they quote the same quote from this Old Testament passage, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous will live by faith. That righteousness is not your own. That righteousness that God has given you, if you understand this gospel message, you will live by faith. You will thrive in your life. And when you begin to acclaim Christ in his greatness and all that he has done, then naturally you're going to want to proclaim who he is. That's why those people who are the most passionate about evangelism, they're the ones who begin to understand more about this gospel message. That's why they're so passionate about this gospel. Because they realize how messed up they are. They realize how utterly incapable they were to be righteous and save themselves. And that's why they say, God, you have to do it. And he did by sending his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. When you begin to understand the magnitude of that love for you that he has in the midst of the sinfulness of your heart, your heart will begin to melt and you realize, God, I didn't deserve it. I don't, I don't deserve it. I can't earn this. It is all you. How about us? Are we living according to our own righteousness or in the righteousness of Christ? I'm just wondering if some of us in this room were thriving in our relationship with Christ or are we just trying to survive or are we struggling through? Maybe you're trying too hard and you just have to come to the foot of the cross and say, God, I'm utterly incapable. I need you. Are you living with the human paradigm or the gospel paradigm that says, God, my identity is found in you. So even though everything is failing around you, everything is not going the way, you don't have friends, all this stuff is happening internally, mentally, emotionally, but you're saying, God, you are my rock. That's why the one thing, once again, is that as Christ's greatness is acclaimed, the gospel must be proclaimed. I just have one next step, and this is something that I'm going to encourage all of us to do for this whole month of missions month. In fact, can I present it this way? If every single one of us in this room, we commit ourselves to doing this, I am wondering how many people in your life group will come to know Jesus.
I'm wondering, even within this month, there will be testimonies of some of you will say, oh my goodness, my parents actually went to church. There is no way until hell freezes over that they would have gone or they went to church. Because somebody reached out to them, not you, somebody that you don't even know who they are reached out to them. What would happen in our church if more people just heard, I don't know, the music or whatever, and they just stream in here and they hear the gospel message and they come to know Jesus? Those of you who don't know John Calvin, he's a reformer, a theologian. Back in uh, 1542, in, in his book, it's called Catechism of the Church of Geneva. He had this appendix in this book, and it's entitled Several Godly Prayers. And what John Calvin saw was that he saw the importance of prayer, and not just praying just one time, but consistent prayer within a given day. So he says, if you could just lift up some of these prayers on a given day, then you will see God doing some things. So as I was kind of reading up on this, on this article this past week, as I was reading this, I go, wow, like, why don't we do that? Why don't we lift up different prayers throughout the day? And then I had to pause. I'm like, oh, that sounds a little bit like Islam. Okay, okay, that might not work. Because as some of you know, uh, people of the Islamic faith, they pray like five times a day, no matter where they are. They could be at the library, they, you know, and they're praying and doing all that stuff, which I have complete admiration and respect for. Some of us are like, thank you for the food, Lord. <laughs> you know, hey, how are you doing, you know? But I mean, they're just whipping out the, you know, the prayer rug and they're just praying right there in front of everybody. Like to me, that's cool, man. I'm, I'm, all I can say is they're bold. So I'm like, okay, we don't want to make it like, you know, like Islam where we have to do like five prayers a day, you know. And then you'll hear me, I'll get all your WhatsApp and I'll be like, nah, nah. and then everyone's like, oh, we got to pray, time to pray. That's not what we're trying to do here. But I am challenging you to be convicted by the Holy Spirit that only the power of God that comes through prayer are we going to see some great things. A lot of times, some of us struggle so much and we get so inward focused, the last thing on our minds is share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. And here's a person right there. They could be sitting in front of me and say, what must I do to become a Christian? I'm like, uh-huh, no, whatever, I gotta go, I gotta go. Because you're so consumed with yourself, your life. So as I was reading this article, I said to myself, okay, like John Calvin said, there are four prayers. Islam has five. John Calvin said there's four. And I said, let's do three. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm challenging us for the month of November to pray three times a day. Now, before you go, like, oh, my God, so legalistic and all that kind of stuff. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. You won't be used of God, and you won't see people come to Christ. No, I'm kidding. If you don't feel this coming, you don't have to do it. We're not forcing you, but we're just, I'm just challenging you 
If we really believe that the gospel through the power of God can transform lives and it can help us to proclaim this message that brings hope to this world and see people come to know Jesus so you could be in the water to baptize that person that you spend time with, that through this you could then go on a missions project and share the gospel to the rest of the nations. If that's something that you're like, I desire to do, then I want to challenge you by the power and the spirit of God that you will pray three times a day. And I made it so simple, just like how I'm trying to make it simple for us to understand I came up with that acronym. So bottom line is this. Okay, before we show you everything, I want you to get the concept. We want you to pray three times a day, once in the morning as you get up, about to go to work, about to go to school. Pray in the morning. Then pray in the afternoon, whatever that means to you. We're not going to be legalistic, just sometime in the afternoon. And then pray before you go to sleep three times a day. And so as I was thinking, okay, what should we pray about in these three moments throughout the day? And so I came up with this thought of, wow, yes, now. Can you, can you say that? Are you ready? Wow, yes, now. All right, turn to somebody next to you and say, wow. Therefore, some of you are like, is this the right church for me? This is like crazy. Sometimes I wonder too. <laughs> I don't know why my brain works this way. But anyway, everyone, wow. Yes, now. So in the morning, it is the wow. Start the day with worship, which simply means just adore him. Say, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for waking me up. You're awesome. You're my God. So start with worship. The second thing that I want you to pray about, like I said, this whole thing could only last 15 seconds. You don't have to pray long. Just be reminded, you got to depend on him. So you go, you wake up and you go, thank you, Lord. Just worship him for who he is. And then the O is pray for opportunities. As you get up in the morning, as you're ready to go to work, as you're getting ready to go to school, go on campus, Pray for opportunity. Just, God, just open up a door for me. Give me an opportunity to proclaim who you are. Or meet somebody that I maybe have, would never meet, but give me an opportunity to do that. And then the other W is help me to be a good witness of who you are. Worship, opportunity, a witness. So you get up in the morning, brushing your teeth, Wow. Lord, I worship you. So, like I said, some of you are like, oh, I got to do it in my bed because that's where it's most holy. Wow, Lord. I mean, if, if that's you, you do your thing. You know what I'm saying? You do your thing. If some of us are regular and we go to a place to visit every morning to deposit some stuff, then go ahead and do it there too. If some of us were eating breakfast all the time and that's a place you can do it, before you eat, you pray, you could just do a wild prayer. That would be great. So morning is what? Wow. wow. How many be a witness? Afternoon. A lot of times, a lot of times, people go downstairs to that cafe and get that legal drug because you get tired, you get sleepy. You want to kill your coworker. You know, all the stuff that goes through your mind. So we're saying now. You know, like, or excuse me. Yes. I was thinking, 
kill that co-worker now, Lord, you know, but <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, all right? So, yes, so what we're asking you to pray for is yield, to say, God, help me just to be surrendered, because this job is killing me. That co-worker is, like, literally, I want to beat them up. My classmate, oh, my, my roommate. So just pray for a heart of yielding, just surrendering to God. God, I'm going I'm to give it up to you. And then pray for, to exemplify who Christ is, the love of Christ. Because sometimes you can start off and say, God, I worship you. I want to be a witness. Because you have that oatmeal going in your body. A witness. And all of a sudden, two hours into your work, you're like, no, I don't. So pray. Just somewhere in the midday, whether it's after lunch, before lunch, or maybe like in that 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock when it's hard to kind of stay awake, just simply say, yes, I'm going to yield. Help me to yield to you. Help me to exemplify the love of Christ. And the S is just pray for strength. So you're going through the grind. Just pray for strength. Lord, we learned about work matters. Help me to really do it to glorify you. Pray for strength. So morning is? Worship. And witness. And then afternoon is? Yield, exemplify, and strength. And then the evening as you're about to retire and go to sleep, after you watch Netflix and all the other stuff that you do at night, video games, I don't know what else you do, read. Before you go to sleep, pray for three things. And this is where I want to tie it into more specifically to Missions Month. Because you've gone through a whole day. you met different people. Maybe there were some opportunities. The first thing I want you to pray for really quickly is your neighbor, that person. Who's my neighbor? Remember when Jesus taught that story about the Samaritan? Who's my neighbor? That's what the Jewish people said. Your neighbor is anyone who's in need. So pray for that person you met. Maybe God is placing a burden for your boss, for, for your coworker, or for your classmate, for your teacher, your professor. Pray for your neighbor. Second thing is outlook. To be able to say, God, you gave me 24 hours and I wasn't able to finish all this, but I'm going to trust in you. My outlook in life, it's not about what I do, but I'm trusting in you. Some of us, we lay there and we cannot fall asleep. Don't raise your hand. Some of you, even last night, I'm wondering if you could not go to sleep. Do you know why you can't go to sleep? Because you are worried. You are anxious. That's why you can't, you have these restless nights. So part of praying at night is to have this outlook. God, you're, you're God. You got this. I'm utterly incapable of changing the situation. I look to you. And lastly is worship, which is the bookend. You start the day with worship. You end it with worship. To say, God, you are awesome. You are God. So once again, Prayers three times a day. Wow. Yes, now. In the morning as you get up is what? Worship. Opportunity. Witness. In the midday, whenever things are getting hard, just spend just that 30 seconds in prayer. Collect yourself and pray that you will yield, exemplify, and as well as to for strength. And then as you live out the whole day and you're about to retire for the night, and as you think about all that God has done, with thankfulness in your heart, that you could pray for that neighbor that you met, that person that God sovereignly placed. And then as you do that, pray for the outlook that it's God, you're in control. 
I didn't finish everything, but I'm going to trust that tomorrow you're going to help me to take care of it. People who can go to sleep are those who trust in God. Pray for that outlook that's focused on him. And then end it with worship. Say, God, you are awesome, and I worship you. I know it's already late, but I was thinking about this missions month, and I said, what would it be like if every single one of us were infected with the gospel message in our lives? Almost like a viral disease, if you want to look at it. That we've been affected with this gospel message and we spread it to people around us. That it's not just for the pastor, but it's for all of us. I'm looking around, I'm thinking, look at all the people we have in our church. If every single one of us can bless two or three other people this coming week, we're going to be able to reach a good portion of people that are in our lives. Let's make that our prayer. Let's do that. Come on, let's stand together as we close. We turn to your neighbor and say, let's not be quarantined. Amen. <laughs> Isolated. Just living our own little holy bubble. Let's infect the world. I know that sounds really weird. But let's infect the world for Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about all the people who could just, if they could understand the gospel by God's grace, what would happen to their lives? What would happen to our life group? What would happen to our neighborhoods, the city, this region of the world? That's why we're going to have faith. And this faith comes by the grace of God. And this faith we have to believe. We believe it so much we're willing to lay down our lives for it. And it's this faith that we believe so much that we're willing to share it with every single person that we meet and every single person that we see. Let's infect people with the love of God. Let's affect people with the gospel. They'll be like, wow, your, your thought is so different. Some of you will start seeing visions of like red little dots over people's heads. I don't know. That will be awesome. Father, I'm just praying for every single person in this room. God, that we will go back to the cross and think about our own lives and how you have blessed us so much. We can't even explain it because, Lord, we were utterly incapable of saving ourselves. And we were utterly incapable of just earning this righteousness. We couldn't. And that was the whole point. Because of the fall, because of sin in this world, you had to send your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take our place and die on that cross. So now that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, surrenders to him, they will have eternal life. So Father, I just pray that this gospel message will be so dear to us. Help us to proclaim it, not just with words, even though that's so important, but also through our lives, the way we love, the way we serve. May people see something different in us. We want to testify to this all the days of our lives. And I pray that as we acclaim you as our greatest treasure, may we proclaim you as the hope of the world especially during these times in Hong Kong when we need you so badly. 
We need you in our neighborhoods. We need you in our workplace. We need you in our, in our families. We need you, Lord God, in our schools, in our campuses. We need you. We cannot do anything without you, Lord. As we close this morning, let's just declare our faith in who we are in Christ, what it is that we believe, because we acclaim Christ and we will proclaim it to the ends of this earth for the glory of God. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.